Well, last week we began a study on a place called heaven, and we're going to continue that study today and over the next several weeks. And I have some good news and some bad news to begin with. What I really sat out to study this week is not where I, where I ended up going with, with, I believe, what God wanted me to say to you this morning. And, and I guess uh, the good news is I really feel like God led and directed me and, and took me somewhere that I didn't expect to go at all with this sermon, which I think is always a good sign. The bad news is that, that uh, what I ended up with is probably not as, like, happy for you. Uh, and so I ended up with something that I think is better, but you're not going to go away like, Oh, yeah, I'm so glad he said that. You you probably would have picked the other one. And so I I think it's good. Just know that ahead of time. Last week we looked at Matthew 19, 16 through 30. I want to draw your attention back specifically to verse 23. And there Matthew inserts the kingdom of heaven. It's a, a term in the book of Matthew that's used 31 times, zero times in the rest of the Bible. And when you begin to look at, at the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, in the book of Matthew, something really interesting begins that study. Really early in the book, a guy named John, who was, uh, he was Jesus' cousin, and he ushered in the ministry of Jesus. And so he was a herald saying, hey, the king has come to the earth. Jesus is here. You need to repent so that you can follow him. And, that, and that's what John is telling people, right? But in the midst of it, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's a really interesting, interesting thing to say. Come near. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And and doesn't that in some way imply that the kingdom of heaven has moved? If I told you right now, I said, I want you to come closer to me, I want you to come near me, then you would uh, move closer to me. It would cause you to move from one place to another. And so it's a really weird thing because when I think of heaven, you know, I can only imagine, I don't think of something that is in any way movable, right? But John says that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, it would be easy to just go, well... Ah, John might have had it wrong, you know, I mean, he was a good guy, but everybody makes mistakes. No big deal, John, the kingdom of heaven doesn't move. But Jesus, in the book of Matthew, when he starts his ministry, starts by saying this, the kingdom of heaven has come near, in Matthew 4, 17. And, and so we see in the book of Matthew, that heaven has come near. And the question becomes, well, what does it mean for heaven to come near? And I think the broader, bigger question, uh, the question that, that maybe is more interesting is this one, where is heaven? And as you begin to search the Scriptures, and you begin to study theology, what you quickly find is that the answer to that question is not as simple as, as we would like it to be. And here's a big part of the problem. When you, when you ask the question, where is heaven? It seems to bring up a lot of theological debate amongst smart people. And so there, there becomes these other questions that people start to argue about. Let me just give you some of those things. Uh, is heaven in the same place now as it was before Jesus came and died for the sins of the world? It's a pretty common argument that people have. How about this one? Is heaven a physical place? or only a spiritual place? And people, good people, debate uh, amongst themselves about that. Or how about this one? Is heaven currently where it will always be, or will heaven relocate someday in the future? 
And so when you when you start to examine where is heaven, I mean, it seems like a logical question considering Jesus said that it had come near. And when you begin to study that, what you run into almost immediately is all of these questions uh, about other things that kind of surround the topic and people start to have these theological debates. Now, I think that it's important for us to understand something about that. Whenever there's theological debate amongst people who are Bible-believing Christians, what you normally find is the Bible is simply not that clear on the issue at hand. And so as I begin to study the Word of God, and and ask the question, well, where is heaven according to these guys? Well, it says heaven here, and it says heaven here. What what I quickly found, I'll just give you kind of the whole point of the sermon right up front, and then we'll examine it together. What I quickly found is that for every one of the biblical writers, where heaven is located was not nearly as important as who was in heaven, and that is God. Whenever they talk about the location of heaven, it is about who is going to be there, the God of the universe. You see, when you look at it, uh, just in the Gospels, what you begin to see quickly is that, that heaven, if, if I could give you the most broad definition of heaven, heaven is God's home. It's something maybe that you've, you've grown up hearing. I mean, that's how I thought of it as a small child, right? And then somewhere along the way, I, I got into theological studies and, and heaven became something more and, and maybe something less at points. Uh, but, but really, at, at, its, at its core, heaven is the dwelling place of God. Notice, I mean, I, I'm just going to give you a few verses here, but if you look at the New Testament and you, you just look up all the times it says heaven, the majority of those are about God being there. Matthew 5:16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so we see that the Father, God the Father, is in heaven. And then Jesus, talking about making promises, said in Matthew 23, 22, And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. So we see this picture of God sitting in heaven. In Luke 3, 22, Jesus is being baptized, and here's what we read. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came where? From heaven, you are my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And so notice that the Father speaks out of heaven. One more, Hebrews 8.1 says, Now the main point of what we are saying is this, We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And so we see the majesty, which is a reference to God being in heaven. And this last one is interesting because it connects with something else that I think is really important for us to see, and that is that Jesus is in heaven. Jesus goes up to heaven, and, and we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. It seems to keep coming up, but, but we believe in this church in what is called the Trinity. And I've briefly explained it. Let me just a, a little bit uh, longer explain it to you this morning. We believe that God is in three forms at all times. And, and that would be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we talk about Jesus, that is the Son. And we are saying that we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And he is part of a triune God, a God made up of three parts, but only one God. And the only, the only analogy that, that has ever worked for me about the Trinity is an imperfect analogy because every analogy for the Trinity is is imperfect. If you find the perfect analogy to explain three things that are one, let me know and I'd love to hear it. But the only one that has ever worked and, and connected with my brain is that of an egg. And, and so you, you may have heard this before, but an egg has three different parts, a shell and a white and a yolk. But we never look at an egg and go, hey, there's three eggs. 
we look at an egg and we say, well, that's an egg with its shell and its white and its yolk. And God, our God that we serve, is like that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not three different things, not three different gods, but one God in three forms. And so we see in the Bible that Jesus is now in heaven. In 1 Corinthians 15.47, it tells us that Jesus is of heaven. And so when we think about that, the Son, part of God, we see that the Jesus who walked around the earth was actually of heaven. His home was heaven because He is God and heaven is God's home. You see in John 3.13, it's made more clear, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. The Son of Man, if you don't know, is, is actually Jesus' most common way of referring to Himself. Uh, you know, we like the word Son of God. We like Jesus, uh, Savior, uh, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. But Jesus most often called Himself the Son of Man. And so what John is saying there is that the only person who has ever been in heaven, at least before Jesus died and rose again, was Jesus Himself, and He had come down from heaven to earth to be the Savior of the world. And then, at the end of Jesus' life, he dies on a cross and he rises again. And after he is risen again, we read in Acts 1, 9 through 11, after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so we see that Jesus came from heaven and Jesus went back into heaven. And the Bible paints this very clear picture that the most significant part of heaven, the most significant aspect of heaven, the most important thing for you to understand about heaven is that that is the place where God is. Now, this last part here that I just said from the book of Acts, it's, it's interesting because Jesus ascends up into heaven. And then we, we see that, that the Bible tells us that Jesus is going to come back. That's what the angels tell the disciples. Jesus is going to come back in the same way that he came. And so what happens is questions arise about what this means. And when you go to the book of 1 Thessalonians, which is the book we're going to be looking at today, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, what you see is that these people, a group of Christians in a city called Thessalonica, they have questions about the second coming of Jesus. They have questions about the return of Jesus to the earth and about their going into heaven, and more importantly, about people who have died going into heaven. Now, we don't know the questions. It'd be really nice looking at this passage of Scripture to go, here's what they were asking, and so now I can tell what Paul is saying back to them. But the question goes something like this. We've heard that Jesus is coming back, and he is going to take us into heaven. And now, my grandfather has passed away. And so, here, here's their question, something along the lines of this. Does this mean that my grandpa doesn't get to go to heaven? And that's kind of what they're asking. Paul has been a missionary to this group of people in Thessalonica, and he's come and he's told them about Jesus, and he said, hey, you need to accept Jesus as your Savior. He died for your sins. He rose again. It's the only way you can get into heaven. And he must have, in the midst of his teaching, said something about Jesus will come back and he'll take you up into heaven. So these people have like a foundation, but, but then questions arise, as they will, right? And it's like, 
okay, if Jesus is coming to get us and he hasn't come and my grandfather or whoever it might be is dead, then does this mean that they don't get to go to heaven? And this is the question, something along those lines, that Paul is answering in verses 13 through 18 of chapter 4. He says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Now, it's a pretty self-explanatory verse, but, but maybe in some of your translations as you're looking down, you'll notice that the word death actually isn't in there. So Paul uses a euphemism, sleep. We do that here, right? Uh, we don't like to say that people have died. We say that they've passed away or things like that. And, and Paul does exactly that. The NIV version that I just read actually adds the word death to help people understand. I think most of you would have understood it without their help. But, but he uses this euphemism. And what's really fascinating about this euphemism is that when you look in the New Testament, almost never does it say that a Christian has died. Instead, it talks about them sleeping or things like that. And, and I don't think that it's just a way of softening the idea of death. I think that when the New Testament avoids saying that Christians have died most of the time, I think it is for a very specific reason. And here's what I think the reason is. I think that the biblical authors don't want to at all give the impression that if a person dies and they know Jesus as their Savior then they don't have eternal life to look forward to. When you read the New Testament, eternal life is a big, big deal, right? And we sometimes think of eternal life as something that we'll obtain someday, oh, when I get it to eternal life. But the Bible paints this picture of eternal life beginning at the moment that we accept the gift that Jesus has given by dying on the cross. And so the biblical authors don't want in any way to confuse people and make them think in their heads that when we pass away on this earth, Eternal life ceases to be something that we have, that is part of us. And so Paul says that these people have fallen asleep. And, then I, and I love this. He says, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. The truth is, when we talk about death and we talk about heaven, for those who are not Christians, there is absolutely no hope. And, and here's what Paul says at the beginning of verse 14. For we believe, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. The subject of heaven, if it does anything for us, it's the topic of it and what it's about and where it is and what it will be like when we get there. If it should do anything, it should draw people to say, I need to believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I mean, because outside of that, there is no hope. And the truth is, I mean, if we, if we just throw out heaven, then there's nothing in this life that is any good for us to look forward to. I mean, we're born, we live in a sinful place with hurt and pain and, and struggle and strife and bad economies and, and bad relationships and things like that. And then we die and we go into the grave. If that is all that we have to look forward to, then, then there is no hope. If this is it, then you are hopeless. The Bible shows us that, that our only hope is through believing that Jesus saved the world by dying for the sins of the world. And so therefore, we can have heaven to look forward to. And I love that Paul, right at the beginning, right at the onset of this passage of Scripture, he doesn't say, hey... Good news, everybody's going to heaven someday. I don't want you to be uninformed. He says, no. He says, good news. I don't want you to be uninformed. 
because there's no hope for other people, but for those who are believers in Jesus and who have given their life to Him. I don't want you to be uninformed because we have the hope of heaven. And so this morning, I'll just encourage you with that. If you're not a believer, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, then, then do that because I want you to have the same hope that I have. And I have, I have sat around people who have lost loved ones and, and the difference between a hope in heaven and a lack of hope in heaven is night and day. There's, there's no bigger difference that I've ever seen in anything in my entire life. And, and I just want you to recognize that Paul makes that clear here. And then he goes on, And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. Now this and so here, this connection, is, is very important. He says, We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we also believe that when Jesus comes back, He will bring with Him those who have, I'll take away the euphemism, sorry Paul, those who have died. Now it's really interesting, that connection, because he isn't just saying we have this belief that, that God can raise people from the dead and death doesn't matter anymore. What he is saying is we know that Jesus was killed and got out of the grave, and so therefore we can trust that God has power over death. Now Paul, the guy writing this, really interesting because... He knew about Jesus. He was a Pharisee, and he hated Jesus when Jesus was alive on this earth. And, and when Jesus died, uh, Paul began to persecute people who called themselves Christians. And Jesus rose again, and Paul was persecuting these people who are Christians. And Jesus ascended into heaven, and Paul was still persecuting people that, that were Christians and following the way, as they called it, that were, that were following Jesus. And, and Paul just kept persecuting them. And then one day, the risen Christ... And really a miraculous vision said, Hey Paul, why are you doing this to my people? And so for Paul, when he talks about the risen Christ, he's saying, I saw Jesus. I mean, I didn't see him like a lot of the other disciples saw him, but I saw Jesus. And here's what I know. I know that God has power over death. And because I know that, I know that God has power to bring with Jesus the ones whom you love. He's looking at these people and saying, because I know that God brought Jesus back from the death, the Father brought Jesus back from the death, I know that He has power over death and your loved ones that believe that Jesus died and rose again are safe and they will be coming back with Jesus. I notice here that these people are coming back with Jesus. It's really interesting. And, and here's what I, I want you to pay attention to. When we read the word sleep, and a lot of theologians do this. They come up with this theology, and it's not like heretical or anything, but it, it's a theology I disagree with that says what happens when we die is we go to sleep for a really long time until Jesus comes back and then there is a resurrection. This is a pretty common uh, a belief. I would call it a minority, at least in our country, but, it, but it's something that people believe out there. But notice what Paul is saying here, that these people are with Jesus currently, and when Jesus comes back, they are going to come with Him. And this seems to go with what Paul says in Philippians 1, 21-24, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two sides. I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so Paul makes quite clear, in my opinion, that when we die, 
We go directly to where Jesus is. Now watch verse 15 here. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. It's a pretty clear verse, right? What he's saying is, is that we aren't going to beat those people to heaven. We don't have an advantage by being alive when Jesus comes back. In fact, if anybody has an advantage, it's the people who have already died because they will go first. They will precede us in this thing where we rise up and, and be with Jesus. And so what we see in, in verse 15, really clear verses, is there is no disadvantage to dying before Jesus returns. That's a big deal, right? And we might look back at these people in Thessalonia and, and look at them and say, how could you not know that people go to heaven when they die, right? I mean, come on. But we have like 2,000 plus years of theology. Just for a second, kind of imagine your situation and you've had loved ones die. And, and just imagine the question, if, if the way we get to heaven is through Jesus coming back to get us and now they died, then I should be crushed then I have no hope for them. They have no hope. But Paul is saying, no, no, no. If anybody has an advantage, it's those who die before Jesus comes back. Verse 16. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. It says the dead in Christ will rise first. And Paul doesn't go on to explain this here, but he explains it in other places. I just want to read you 1 Corinthians 15.43 because the idea is that, that all of a sudden we all get new bodies. And so if you're already living, you still get this new body. And if you're dead, then you really get a new body, right? And so we see that you get this new body, but, but Paul, in a beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians 15.40-43, describes this. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. Star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. I don't miss this because Paul is, is hinting at it in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, but, but he's making it clear in 1 Corinthians 15. He is saying that when Jesus comes, we will get these heavenly bodies. If you knew nothing else about heaven, wouldn't that be great? My right knee been complaining about this a lot lately, is aging at like 10 times the speed of the rest of my body. Uh, I run, and, and when I hit three miles, I know. I don't have to look at my phone or anything because it's like, oh, my, three miles, uh, and my knee starts to hurt. I, I tried to push out a longer run the other day, and by the time I was done, I thought I was going to break like every other part of my leg trying to make my knee feel better, and uh, I'm like, oh, I'll just finish it. Uh, and, and so uh, I tell you what. If heaven is like earth, but my right knee is fixed, then it's already better than earth, right? But, but Paul is saying like, one is perishable, one's not. One is spiritual, one is not. One is heavenly, one is earthly. When we get to heaven, we're going to have these bodies that are just incredible. I think beyond what we can 
probably imagine, but just picture your body without any pain or anything like that. And I picture, just for me, it helps like kind of like the Hulk uh, without any temper. And, and so that's what I'm going to look like, even look like whatever... <laughs> Sometimes I think I look like that now, but uh, but you can look how you want. But but heaven is going to give us this new body that is going to be great, and we can see that that this whole death idea will go away when we get those bodies, because the perishable will be taken away by the imperishable, and death will no longer reign on this earth. And so uh, we see that about heaven in the book of First Thessalonians. The, the latter half of verse 17 causes tons of debate. It really, it really, if I could just kind of put it in broad terms and try to avoid theological terms, they're going to make you stop listening or anything like that. What it comes down to is when Jesus takes us up into, into the clouds, do we go up with him into heaven or do we come back with him to earth? We are ushering him into this earth and he'll set up his kingdom on, on our planet. And, and, and what's really cool about the debate that rages there, and, and there's good debate both sides. You can look it up on your own time. What's really cool this is what I like about it. There would be no debate if Paul had not wanted there to be debate. If Paul had said this is the most important aspect, which way you're going after you get to be with Jesus, then he just would have written it down. But notice, he's very vague. And now 2,000 years later, we're arguing, sure, that's not good. But I think that it just if people would stop arguing <laughs> and they would just look at this passage of Scripture, Paul makes that totally unimportant. Paul does not care whether we go that way or this way or anything like that. What Paul cares about is what he says in the next part of that verse. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Going this way, going that way, no big deal. I'm not even going to describe the body to you right now. What you need to know is this. Whether you die before Jesus comes or you're alive when he comes, this is the greatest part for Paul. We will be with the Lord forever. When you read Revelation 21, which is kind of the greatest picture of, of heaven that we have, and we'll come back to, to Revelation 21 uh, often in, in this series, but if you just look at the, the first few verses of Revelation 21, just listen to this as I, as I read it. It'll be up here. And just kind of pay attention to, to what's important to John as he, as he writes the book of, of Revelation, and God gives him this vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, for the old order of things have passed away. It's almost two full verses out of four that basically say the same thing. God will now be with us. The Bible is saying, and it is so clear, that the most important thing for you to understand about heaven is that God will be there. And so, when we, when we look back at that passage that says heaven has come near, was talking about is the person Jesus coming to the earth because God was for a time dwelling amongst his people. The word was made flesh and he dwelt among us. That's how the book of John says it. And so Jesus, by being on this earth, made it so that heaven was closer than it had ever been in the history of our world. 
And what you see is this picture throughout the entire Bible of the importance of God's presence in people's lives. People valued it tremendously. And I know you want you want questions answered and, and we'll try as the weeks come. And it was kind of my goal to go there today. I know you want to know things like, is there baseball in heaven? Uh, you know, uh, will, I, will I have my dog in heaven? Will we know each other in heaven? Things like that. And those are cool questions and I like to talk about them. But honestly, the most important aspect of heaven for the people that wrote the Bible and therefore for God himself was that God would be there with you. You see it in so many different ways that Jesus brought heaven closer to us. You see it in the fact that God's rule and reign through the lives of believers today is called the kingdom of heaven on earth. And so as God fills you up through His Spirit and He comes as we gather in church, we see the kingdom of heaven move forward. And really a big part of that is God's presence is expanding on our earth. And so heaven is more near to us through that. And then someday we know when Jesus comes or we die that we get to go where he is and be with him. And people will argue about where that is. But the truth is, the most important thing is that it's where God is. And let me just say this, and, and it's going to be maybe slightly hyperbole, but, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you don't like hanging out with God, then you probably won't like heaven. I mean, if you don't like being in the presence of God, then heaven is not for you. The other side of that is that you won't get to heaven, probably. If you're not a Christian that that loves Jesus, then then you're not going to go there. But, But even if you're a Christian and you don't like being with God and being a part of what God is doing and, and you're not wrapped up in God... Then I'm sorry, then, then you should stop looking forward to heaven. You should start working on your spiritual life. Because the most important aspect of heaven is that it is where God is. So here's, here's what I recommend for, for each of us. If we could just learn from this. I think that, that, that we need to, to work on being people that value the presence of God. It's really easy for us. When we sing, I can only imagine, and I love that song because think about the focus of the entire song. The focus of the entire song is on the presence of God. Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or will I be able to say anything at all? Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? You know, I mean, the whole thing is focused on the presence of God, and I think that the, the writers of that song did a really good job of of summarizing what the Bible makes the most important aspect of heaven, that God will be there. And so what I encourage for you is first, and and you know I encourage this a lot, give your life to God. Because without giving your life to God, you'll never never understand the importance of God. And and you won't get to heaven, but, but you won't even know what the best part about heaven is. I mean, gold streets, whoopity doo. God's presence is the most valuable part of heaven. And the second thing, and this is for you and I who are Christians, I would say just just become a person who likes God's presence. I mean, do whatever you have to do to, to just become a person who likes it when God moves in your life. I mean, if you come to church and, and, and you just think, oh man, I, I, uh, 
really feel like God's talking to me today and I'm convicted and all those things, then, then fix whatever is convicting you and learn to love the presence of God because that is the most important part of what we have to look forward to. And here's the last part. And I love this. Verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And I just want to end with that. If we have given our lives to Jesus then someday we get to be in His presence and He will wipe every tear from our eyes and He will take away all the pain and all the hurt and things will be great. And I think sometimes we just forget about that. I know that each of you have struggles. I mean, there's difficult things going on in all of your lives, right? And what Paul is saying, I believe, to these people in this church and to us today is be encouraged by the fact that even though life is hard right now, Things are tough. This world is not that great. This is not it. Someday you will be in the presence of a God who loves you and cares about you and gave his life for you. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray that we would be people who just love your presence more and more, God. Lord, we get so caught up in earthly things and, and, uh, and God, sometimes we just forget about just how important it is to be with you. Lord, you know in, in my life that the, the greatest moments I've ever had, bar none, God, is the moments when I have felt your presence uh, in, in the most real ways, God. And, and I pray, Lord, that we would just love that more. And I pray that every person in our church, God, whether it's through giving their life to you or, or, or just uh, growing in you, God, would, would every person here this morning would become a person who's, who's more excited about being in your presence someday, God. Lord, when we sing, I can only imagine. Lord, sometimes we, we connect with, with the, the only, I can only imagine part of that song. We kind of think about, you know, how great it will be. But Lord, I pray that, that more and more as we sing that song and we, we think about heaven, God, that, that we would be people who are excited to just know that we'll be in your presence. And, and, and we don't know how we'll react, God, to that presence. I'm sure it'll be a little bit of everything said in that song but god let us be people who are excited for the moment when we find out god i just pray that you would change that in us because i do believe lord with all my heart that as we become more excited to be in your presence to be closer to you god then, then it really it changes god our lives now and god what i think happens as i maybe i'm wrong lord you can you can tell us but what i think happens god is that in some way, God, we bring picture of heaven to earth as, God, we are in your presence more often. And like Moses, God, glowing when he came down off the mountain after being in your presence, God, when we love your presence, we glow and people look at us and they think, I want what they want and the hope that they have and they're encouraged no matter the, the situation that they're going through, God. And, and then, Lord, I, I believe that other people... God, begin to place their hope in you. And so I pray, God, for this congregation, that we would be a congregation that glows with your presence all the time, knowing that someday, God, we will be in that presence in a far greater way than we are right now in our heavenly bodies worshiping you, God. I pray these things in your name, God, and I ask that you meet us here for these next two songs, God, and just let, let, a, let a piece of heaven fill, fill up uh, this church this morning. In your name, amen.